0: Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 427, Top 10 Days of Wonder Games and their best versions. We'd like to thank all our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. Hey friends, we're back and we are talking about the best of Days of Wonder. Yeah, like the one of the holy grail
1: publishers for a long time until Yes, Asmodee bought them and told them to make apps. So <laughs> they did. What a shame that was, huh? We we've still gotten a few good gems out of them since then, but it's been very few and far between. So
0: It has. It has. And I think it's it's an important episode because I think as you mentioned, they were the kind of industry standard for quite quite some time until I think Asmodee, their first major purchase was Days of Wonder because mm-hmm. they were that big, they were that good, they were that consistent. Like when they released a game, which was typically one one a year, it was the game. And then obviously over time, it's become like weird expansions and apps and weird like watered down kind of family games to the point of like, I think recently I saw The River was on sale for like $4 Mm -hmm. on on some website. And I was like, I could buy this, but...
1: (laughs) That was a bad game, my friends. Yeah, no, it's weird. And then out of nowhere, they release Heat, Pedal to the Metal. What's that about? Because it's (laughs) shooting up the top 100. It's one of the hottest games of the last six months. And Days of Wonder had not released a significant game that really had this kind of impact half a decade, maybe longer. Yeah. It's weird. It was kinda of out of nowhere. I'm happy. I'm glad it happened. It's just weird.
0: It is weird. Yeah. It was very much bring out your dead. And then that Days of Wonder was like, I'm not dead yet. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, exactly. I still have a game here. Hold on, people. Yeah, There's still some life in here. It's the best racing game ever made, maybe. It's crazy. <laughs> 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 it's it's gonna win all the awards. It's it's listed everywhere. You love it, right? You love it? Yeah. You love it. You love it. Come on, you love it. pretty much yeah We'll we'll take a look uh down the road and again obviously i mean days of wonder games should be in your collection if they're not we have 10 of the best games for you plus we're talking about the best versions of these games because again another thing that days of wonder did so incredibly well is produce solid solid versions slash expansions of their games and there wasn't really any chaff as far as that's concerned.
1: No, no, they're one of the best companies for that. And, they, and the thing about them that makes it so good is because we could talk about Fantasy Flights expansions and maybe someday we'll have we'll do this like best companies for expansions. But sure. Their expansions were almost necessary. Yes. No matter how good they were, the games, the base game always felt a little gutted. You know, it's like when they release a video game and a DLC comes out four months later and you knew they just removed it from the game to have something to sell days of wonder never felt like that their games felt yeah. complete and interesting and engaging and replayable and then you got new content on top of that yeah. which was always so cool
0: and i think again when they were producing games prior to asmoday it was certainly a different time yeah and i think they let things fully bake and when they did release something they released it like with care and passion and like respectability so yeah. you it, a Days of Wonder game coming out was an automatic buy back in the day.
1: Yeah, I remember that first time we played one that wasn't amazing, when Daniel broke it. The river uh, one remind me then. Yeah, the, yeah, the, the like hunting for ruins. Yes. Um, and just like out of nowhere, you're like, oh, this game's not amazing. I thought these were all amazing. What happened? And <laughs> but that that's when you have the exception to the rule like that. You know, sure. you're in a great company.
0: It's true. So we'll be talking about that in our feature review. A lot of fun stuff to to get to. Uh, obviously board gaming always a thing, but Anthony, there's been some movies and television shows that've been really cool too. And every once in a while, we're just like, hey, that's a thing you should see because it's super cool on top of everything else. You just gotta believe, Anthony. You gotta believe. You gotta believe. Maybe or not or
1: not be allowed to say the word believe because it's the final season. And it jumped the shark. Um. Yeah, no, we 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 both finished watching Ted Lasso. I'm sure many of you did as well. Very good show. Yes, uh, we were actually talking about it for like 20 minutes before we started recording. So we're like, oh, we should record that <laughs> a, cl- a snippet. Um, it's it's a such a funny show because it launched during the pandemic when we were all depressed. Yes, and it was so unabashedly happy and positive yes. that it was hard not to like it. Right, and True. it's still like that. Right. Anytime you think they're going to send a character down the dark path or something bad is going to happen, they're like, nope, just kidding. They're they're going to do the right thing because they're all good people and you want to be happy. And from a storytelling perspective, sometimes some of those decisions are questionable, like narrative wise, but I don't care. It's just fun to see what happens. Like the people are just so fun to spend time with. Yes. Um, I, I can, honestly cannot think of another show like that
0: i'm sure we can but it's been so long since anything like that came out i think there there was like as far as like prestige television it certainly took a dark turn like after sopranos and again sopranos was great Mad Men, breaking bad the wire like there's so many great shows that that are out there i guess maybe this is the antithesis of like succession that you watched which i could not get past the first season i was just like I'm out just just too 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 for me but
1: yeah the funny thing is is that show its last episode was three days before Ted Lasso's last episode so like getting through the hour and a half of succession series finale was a chore it's very good it's very well written the characters everything that happens at the end is perfect but it's depressing and sad and these people are terrible and you hate them (laughs) and then like three days later you get Ted Lasso and you're like oh my gosh it's like so cozy and comfortable and oh my gosh it's ending i'm so unhappy it's it's the worst um and then you also look at it and you're like oh the writing could have been better but i don't care it's amazing like polar opposites and yet i walk away from both being like 10 out of 10
0: yeah <laughs> yeah if you haven't watched it it's on apple tv it's again about this i guess again depending on how you look at it because i i've played soccer slash football coach this american football coach coming over to uh you know britain to you know, helm the team, AFC Richmond. And again, I don't want to ruin anything for you because I think it's a very good ride. I think a lot of times you think the show's going to zig and it zags. You think mm-hmm. it's going to go down a certain trope and it doesn't. <clears throat> and even though it's like you were saying, I think, even though it's very, I guess, very sweet and happy, it's very meaningful and personable in a way that I think is real and true and nothing sugary. I think they they go down some places. They go down some, I wouldn't say necessarily dark places, but they go there in some cases. And the relationships, and especially I think we should also mention, I guess we, we've talked about this in the previous episode, I think this month is also Mental Health Month for men specifically. Yeah, And I think this show, which primarily focused around men, although there is some amazing uh, female characters, lead characters here in the show, and they have some, tremendous storylines i think this is an important show for a lot of men who don't really have the opportunity to sit contemplate their relationships and honestly cry at some points right you don't see that a lot in like athletic men shows right you get knocked down you get beaten up and you go back out there and this is like now you take a moment you you know get a little introspective you you feel your feelings you express your feelings like i never saw that in like you said a tv show especially around sports i mean it was pretty impressive. It was really an impressive uh, show for three seasons. So if you haven't seen it, check it out. I got my mom into it, and she was like, "I don't want to watch this." <laughs> she, she saw more than more than enough soccer growing up as a kid, and the, you know. But it's not about. I mean, there's obviously it is about, but it's not really about that. It's about found family. I think probably is the best way to say it. I
1: think it's yeah, it's a perfect way to put it. And like, just to reemphasize, like the the mental health angle of the show is really, really good. Um, you know, they, they really dive into it in the second season and then it kind of comes full circle in the third. And sure, I think it, it does a good job of that, of normalizing that, of discussing that, of putting it out there and kind of combating that toxic masculinity that we're so used to in media. Sure. Um, that it's, it's appreciated from people who take that stuff seriously. Um, Absolutely. Kind of normalize it in, a, in an important way.
0: Yeah, it's we talked about some of this on episode four hundred and twenty-four, so not that long ago, but um mental health is not is not hundred percent about mental health problems. It's about positive mental health and about maintenance and care. And that should happen all 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 the time. So um if you haven't checked it out, even if you're not a big soccer slash football fan, highly recommend because I think there's a lot to get out of it and it's very smart and mature. And it's a very good show. Just quality show, as he said. So, And there's also Spider-Man. Spider-Man's out, right?
1: Yeah, Spider-Man's out. I had fun with Spider-Man. I took my daughter to see Spider-Man. My son is uh, boycotting animated movies at the moment. But yeah, he's it's, a tough guy. It's, it's his loss. It's his loss. Um, <laughs> so this is the second in the Spider-Verse trilogy. Um, and we know that because they've already told us the third movie's coming next year. And if you watch this second one, across the spider-verse you will very immediately know that that another movie is coming next year so it's not ambiguous you don't have to worry about it that's not a spoiler it's just a thing they've already said it's happening um but the the first movie is by many including myself considered one of the best superhero movies ever made and definitely one of the best animated superhero movies and it just kind of came out of nowhere especially because sony just keeps fumbling over and over again with, with their uh, superhero stuff, unless Marvel's managing it for them. Um, so it, it was amazing. It came out, I think, five years ago at this point. And I honestly forgot that they'd made the the sequel and that it was coming out soon. Um, that first movie kind of closed off. it didn't need a sequel. But this one opens up in a way that really makes sense for the characters, for the development of those characters. And more importantly, I think the most important thing is... It is a multiverse movie, but it's not about the multiverse. It's about the people, two individuals in particular, like Miles Morales and Gwen Stacy, who make up the, you know, and their relationship and their relationship with their families. So it's telling a human story in this crazy bananas, bonkers comic book crossover universe. Um, which just makes it fun. Like you can appreciate the the subtle nods, all the comic book stuff and all the different art styles. And yet it still tells a really good story, which sure. I think is what we're missing from almost all of the other multiverse media out there right now, um, except maybe everything everywhere all at once. So I would love to see more of that. Kevin Feige, take some notes because huh? <laughs> your, your stuff's going off the rails a little bit. And I think this handles it really well.
0: Yeah, I heard an interview with uh, James Gunn and he named Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, the first movie of this kind in the Miles Morales kind of universe, as his favorite comic book movie of all time. And I was, I mean, that's, that's a huge praise. I mean, it's, it's up there. Yeah, yeah
1: it's, I've I've seen that movie more than any other Marvel movie. Wow. And any yeah. of like the 20, 30, whatever movies there are. I've I've seen that movie 15, 20 times now because I'll just put it on in the background. It's got good music. It's a, a nice soundtrack. Yeah, it's beautiful to look at. So even if you're not really paying attention, it's just fun to have on. Yeah, um, just a revelation of a film for what it does. And we're starting to see more movies that kind of copy that. Like we saw the trailer for the new Ninja Turtles movie. Before oh yeah, then. yeah, that looks crazy and cool. And it's a cool art style and it's different. I'm like, yes, Spider Verse. Come on, let's do it. <laughs> um, so yeah, I was really excited that. My daughter wanted to go see it, I probably would have snuck out to see it anyways, but uh I had an excuse as a dad to go see it on weekend one. (laughs) Nice.
0: Yeah, so two great recommendations. Definitely check them out if you haven't seen them. And I I think they're important recommendations because of the genre that might keep you away. So, like, you know, like your son thought maybe it's too kiddie, but it actually is a very mature engaging movie for everybody the same thing with ted lasso oh soccer i don't like soccer soccer is boring but there's something else there so it's
1: not about what it shows on the surface right like ted lasso is not a soccer show it's about family you know into the spider-verse is not a spider a multiverse film it's about family yeah um and that's i think what makes it work so well like yeah like the kids can like, oh, it stuff's exploding and there's Spider-Man everywhere. <laughs> adults can be like, oh yeah, I understand how that feels. Like I, I had that same kind of relationship with my parents. You know, it's those Very things much. are there and it's it's really well written.
0: Yeah, that's great. Again, another win after I guess Guardians of the Galaxy three, which was great. Yeah, yeah. And Dungeons and Dragons was great. So some really good that movies good like them. Yeah, excellent. All right, well, that's what's happening out there in the multiverse. So. Hopefully you're listening to all of the Board Gamers Anonymous podcast, no matter what verse they happen to be in. Um, mm. Hopefully this is your favorite of the multiverse. Anthony, whatever verse we happen to be in, our friends out there are always talking about what's going on board gaming. What's our question of the week?
1: All right. Our question of the week this week is along the lines of the IPs we've been talking about. Um, if you could retheme one of your favorite games... So a game you like mechanically with one of your favorite IPs, which game IP combo would you choose and why? (laughs) So take a game you love and slap on a a TV or movie or comic that you love. Sure. What is it? Uh, So we got a lot of good answers here. We'll start over on the Patreon. Uh, Whiskey Punk says Santa Maria. Let's make it space themed. Everything easily translates to a space theme.
0: Nice. Nice. Doesn't
1: even mention IP, just says space. Space is good. Yeah, I agree. Santa Maria is a very good game. Um, it's problematic in its theming.
0: Super, super problematic. Um,
1: <laughs> it's not just its theming, but also its components. There are some issues in that game. The
0: victory points. The victory points. Yeah,
1: are <laughs> yeah. those smiley faces are not good. Um, nope. I, I would love if you gave me a version of that game that I could play. <laughs> so that'd be cool.
0: Yes, that'd be um, nice.
1: So that that's number one from Whiskey Punk. Corey Murphy says, Root, except rather than each faction being a woodland creature, they are the houses from Dune. Ooh, I like that. I, I like this one a lot, actually, because Root is amazing for a yes. lot of reasons. Um, yes. But mechanically, it's probably number one because it's accessible in a way that a lot of those coin-style asymmetrical war games are not. Yes. Let's throw a theme on there that's even more accessible,
0: huh? Yeah. I mean, it or fits less. really well with their, the different houses they would they they really work well with the mechanics like that could be just a whole episode right there because that really works well like i can i can imagine the combos here yeah yeah no that'd be really good um all right christopher says
1: i recently backed saria and its expansion it got me thinking who doesn't wish their dinosaur park survival game dinosaur island or dinosaur world game carried a jurassic park or jurassic world ip
0: Absolutely. Not to knock
1: those guys, but I think we all know we'd rather have <laughs> Dr. Alan Grant or Owen Grady running around saving our island.
0: It's true.
1: Yeah, I, I feel like, and who knows how all that stuff works. Maybe, like, I know some of these licenses cost a lot of money and the companies are like, we're not paying that. Uh, but, man, it seemed like such a slam dunk, like to give us like a an IP-ified version of Dinosaur Island. That'd be cool. I agree. Absolutely. Uh, Chris here shares, too many bones with a Star Wars theme. Uh, so uh, read out what he, what he said for us quick, chewy, blast him! Chewy charges and rips the arms off a battle droid. Well, that works too. Meanwhile, Vader uses the force to throw a computer terminal at Luke. Luke rolls his force defense die and successfully deflects the object to the space on his left. Oof. Sorry, Han. So yeah, why not? Right. Too many bones. Um, Not a game that ever really super clicked for me, but I could absolutely see it with another theme on it because of how mechanically intricate the game is. So that could be a lot of fun. Uh, Let's see here. And Over on the Discord, Um, we did not have any answers there, unfortunately. So if you're on the Discord, definitely drop an answer there. Uh, On the Facebook, we also had a few more. We had Nick mentioned taking Scythe and retheming it with Red Rising
0: which nice
1: isn't even that far-fetched because Stonemeyer has worked with the red rising ip already we have the red rising game it's not great but they've already done it um <laughs> nathan says i would love to see the venture brothers theme on sentinels of the multiverse
0: Ooh, i like that nice that would be Fair fun yeah cause there's yeah. a lot of
1: tweaks you'd have to make there which would be kind of cool they'd have to be funny <laughs> Uh, Willie says sons of anarchy becomes peaky blinders. So, Ooh, I like that. Yeah, yeah. So we've got more vibrant characters. We're swapping out hard dogs for booze, um, which <laughs> increases the audience of the game, which you're right, Willie, that does increase the audience of the game. Um, and most of all, it'd be a great opportunity to reprint a game that was plagued by knockoff printings. So just get a more recent show that people probably more people have seen because it is on Netflix. Um, it's a lot of good stuff, a lot of good stuff from everybody out there. It's honestly, you could pick any of those colonialized games. Um, you know, I, I would take generic space theme all day. Give me, you know, Sky Mines is great. I'd just keep doing that. But if you could take that and like slap an IP on it and make it just like really sing as a game, that would be really cool as well. Um, throw Star Wars on pretty much anything at this point. There really aren't that many. There's a lot of Star Wars games. There aren't a lot of Star Wars board games. We get Rebellion, and that's about it. Everything else is out of print. So uh, I would love more, like, just classic Euro crunchy games with Star Wars.
0: Yeah, we're lucky that Rebellion is as good as it is. Yeah. Because (laughs) everything else from Star Wars has kind of been hit and miss. I guess guess Queen's Gambit uh, Mm -hmm. was very good, but obviously you can't get that. So. No, you there get risk,
1: and and that's out of print now too. So,
0: yeah, it's that's that was pretty surprising that that went out of print, considering, yeah, you know, big money, generic company kind of things like that. I think the one for me that I've a game that I've always loved is Shipyard. Oh yeah, uh, it's it's got tons of pieces to it, and rondels, but it is beige all day, my friends. It is mm-hmm. it is one of the beigeest beige euro looking games of all time. But the mechanics are so incredibly sweet. And Delicious Games, not too long ago, did release that probably at some point later this year or next year. Because, again, you never know. They're going to be re-releasing the game with 3D components. Ooh. So um, you can check out their Twitter thread. There is a picture of some of the prototype components. I'm a little worried about that because i got to be honest with you. Like, if you've ever played Shipyard, <laughs> yes, it is a lot of chits. But you need, you, they need to be chits because the ships have a lot of things on them. So I don't know what it's going to be like to have like 20, 30 little figures. It's going to cost you
1: 200 bucks is what it's going to be
0: like. (laughs) No, don't do things like that. So (laughs) he didn't say that folks, delicious games. You did not hear that. You did not hear that. You heard 40 to 50 bucks tops. I'm I'm good with that. Uh, But I, I would, I would appreciate since it's shipyard, I would do a Star Trek shipyard because mm, Star yes. Trek and all the different, you know, factions and races and stuff like that have a lot of different types of ships. So being able to create Federation ships or such and build up the parts together, I think that would be a lot of fun and add a, a new vibe to it. Again, it's space, but I think there's, I icon- like create the, the iconic enterprise. And obviously there's endless numbers of them now. At this point. So pick whatever letter you want, build it up, throw some crew in there, and I think that'd be a lot of fun. So that delicious games, that's what you should be making. Don't don't give us pieces. Just new new version. That's all I'm saying. Just all give a Star all or Trek. Saying. Do it. Star Trek. Get the IP. Talk to Gale Force Nine. Like, you know, work over some crossover. I think that would be fantastic. So uh again, as Anthony said, if you'd like to hit us up on our Facebook question of the week or On our Discord or anywhere you find us on social media. Again, BoardGamersAnonymous.com. You're going to find a ton of content on there and everywhere where you can find us. Obviously, BoardGamersAnonymous. There's just so much out there. Please hit us back. Love to hear from you all. And again, our Patreon account. So I guess this week, Anthony, we have a new Patreon episode coming up. We do. We do. So
1: I I keep promising the end of my Kickstarter uh, postmortem. But it turns out I backed way too many games on Kickstarter and I'm I'm having fun talking about them. So I get to like 30, 40 minutes of recording and I realize I'm nowhere near the end. So I'm continuing. I feel like I have one or two left. uh, And and these are more recent games, of course. At this point, I have worked my way up. So we're going to be going through uh, some more games from the last two to three years uh, that were back on Kickstarter and Game Found
0: on uh, this week's episode. Very cool. Excellent. and again. Uh, my episodes every other week, then, are in the Habit, where I cover 12 games on Kickstarter. This recent episode, I think most of the games were in Game Found. A lot of people were asking, so a bunch of Game Found stuff's up there. All right, so that's everything that's happened to everybody out there in the multiverse. Anthony, let's get on to the games that we want to get to the table. Let's talk about our acquisition disorders.
1: All right, so uh, in the spreadsheet for this, I literally put Ticket to Ride Legacy, LOL. Uh, because it's stupid, right? It's stupid. But I actually think this one will be good. So it's not really stupid, and I probably would pick it up. Because Is that a is
0: that a Days of Wonder game?
1: It is a Days of Wonder game, yes. Ah. So I wonder where our, where our theme today came from. <laughs> um, so this is Ticket to Ride Legacy, Legends of the West. It was announced in the last week. Um, it's designed by the rock star trio of Alan Moon, the original designer of Ticket to Ride, Matt Leacock of... Uh, pandemic fame and Rob Davio of all the legacy games, fame Um, Davio and Leacock of course worked on pandemic legacy, which is still at this point, the only legacy game to really pull it off. Uh, There's plenty of them that are good, that are interesting that people like, but were they big sales successes? Eh, this is the one where they hope they can pull that off again. It's like, (laughs) let's do it again. We're going to figure it out. Um, And I, I don't know if they'll do it or not. And I'll tell you why for a couple of reasons, but I am also interested in this game. So what this is, is it's Ticket to Ride in America. So it's the American map, but Mm -hmm. you're building that map. So we're, we're talking about building the railways in the 19th century. So you start the game with a partial map that has the East Coast all the way over to like Chicago and then all the way down to parts of the South, not into Florida, right? So this is like early railways and now you're trying to build west um and it's a legacy game so it's 12 games similar to uh, pandemics designed to be 12 months it could be up to 20 games in that case but in this case it's 12 games in which you're kind of building everything out so you have all the base mechanics of ticket to ride where you're have a tableau of cards and you're pulling those into your hand and you're spending those cards to put trains out but like any good legacy game Things are changing. You're building to the map. The roots are not going to be necessarily set in stone uh, because you are building them as you go. And the box comes with a bunch of different things you could be doing, right? There's different postcards and company boxes and frontier boxes and conductor's toolbox and all this stuff that's kind of hidden away because it's a legacy game. So like even the preview doesn't really tell us much other than the fact that it is an evolving legacy game in which you will go beyond the base rules of Ticket to Ride. Now, I've I've been on the record several times saying the only way to really pull off a good legacy game is to take a relatively simple framework of a game, a game system, if you will, and build on that, right? It worked for Pandemic. It worked to some degree with Clank. There's a couple of others that kind of pulled it off that were a little more complex. Mm-hmm. Anything else that tried to be original or too complex, it just Mm. doesn't really work. It falls apart, right? So I think Ticket to Ride is the perfect framework for that because the rules are so basic. You start, you can teach the rules to Ticket to Ride in five minutes. And so when you add things to that, you're not adding so much overhead that people, when they get to game seven, are going to be like, wait, what? How many things are I going to keep in my brain? (laughs) (laughs) Which is the problem we have with like Seafall. So I'm excited to see how they do it. I think it could be interesting. I want to see how it evolves. I'll probably pick this up. I almost certainly I can get my kids to play it. Um, Sure. We did fall off the Jurassic Legacy game because it just got boring. (laughs) Yeah. If you're wondering where that review went, why it never happened, we didn't get quite halfway through and I couldn't get them to play anymore and I didn't want to play it solo. (laughs) Oof. (laughs) um, Take that review for what it is. Eh, it's a big meh. I, I, I wouldn't say it's a dodge, but it's expensive. So I mean... Um, (laughs) Ticket to Ride Legacy like every other Legacy game also going to be expensive Uh, I believe they've said $120 for the game because again it comes with a bunch of extra stuff in the box games are 20 to 90 minutes which is a weird length but if you've played Ticket to Ride you can kind of get a sense of why I imagine they start short in the campaign and they get longer as you go but for 12 games if they're really that short early up, then if you're like a heavy like if you game a lot and you want to get the most out of your games, this might be a tough sell for you paying $120 for yeah. you know, six to 10 hours. Um, I don't mind that so much. I don't play any game that much really. And when it's, if a legacy game really works, none of that bothers me because it's a complete experience. It's like going to the mm-hmm. movies, which with a family also costs $120. So whatever. Um, but it needs to be good. So I'm excited for this because I want to see how they did it. I like that Alan Moon came back to work on it. I like that Matt Leacock joined the team to work on it as well because he has experience translating existing games into Legacy. Um, Davio, obviously the Legacy guru. Uh, I'd like Ticket to Ride fine. We'll talk about it a little bit later. I think it's a great game system like Pandemic and you can do really cool things with that when you build on it. And... Yeah, I, I think this is worth checking out. I think it comes out in November, sure. they said. So it's after all the cons. They'll probably have early previews. It'll come out right before Christmas. Um, so I will definitely get a copy. I will report back to you all around Christmas time when my kids finish it with me. Um, mm-hmm. But I I wasn't as cynical about this as I thought I would be. Once I actually read up on it, I'm like, actually, I kind of want to play this, even though it's also a <laughs> cash grab. This is like, oh, all those people who buy every expansion for Ticket to Ride, we're going to get $120 out of them. I'm like, yeah, you are. But me too. So
0: <laughs> you know, it's what's really hard, again, like you you mentioned the mechanics, which certainly is a is a it has historically been one of the biggest problems as far as like why something works or doesn't work. The other thing that I found as far as a, a problem is, is thematically what to do with the legacy game. And I think a lot of the legacy mm-hmm. games that we've talked about. they've they've just crashed and burned in the worst way possible because the designer wasn't really sure. Like, I have a game. I need to make it a legacy thing. So, like, maybe it's too light and silly like Machikara where it's just, there's nothing, there's no story there, really. Yeah. Or, you know, or maybe it's super dark and twisted like, for some reason, Charstone turned out to be at the very end. Yeah, yeah, Uh so it's just like I don't know what to do. And then obviously you have the ones that are a little bit more down the line where you have pandemic and risk, um, which stays within the genre, um, but does obviously get pretty intense. And again, no I don't want to give spoilers out, but they throw some pretty heavy things, both games. So I don't know what they're gonna do here as far as like it again, we're not supposed to know, right? This is sp- something supposed to be discovered and figured out maybe there's murder on the Orient Express maybe there's ghosts <laughs> maybe there's a ghost train I don't know like <laughs> maybe they have to save save a town by building a train through it I, I don't you know could be a number uh, of things I'm sure
1: I, I do want to know how what direction they go right because even the three pandemic legacy games they all do this in a different way right? yeah and we, no spoilers but each of them does something that's like the big twist or the big like, story moment or whatever that's different, it's very different across all three games, yeah. Um, I think that's one of the things you need, and like Charterstone tried to do that, and it was just kind of depressing. <laughs> like, it was also, that point, little, yeah, you're like, why did you do that? I don't like this. This makes this game <laughs> less fun. Now I'm sad, yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I, and Risk Legacy, I haven't played, but I'm sure it does something like that too, because you need to do something like that. It does.
0: Um, it goes it goes crazy it goes further than you think risk does so i'll just i'll leave that out there
1: okay okay yeah um i don't know i think you have to stay true to the theme though of the game like you can't go too crazy with ticket to ride you're building trains like betrayal at betrayal legacy is apparently very good if you like betrayal yeah it stays within that system though it does mm-hmm. crazy stuff but it does it within the system of the game aeon's sure. end legacy same thing like you're still Were- ages fighting whatever werewolf legacy same yeah. thing um so as long as they stay within that system and we don't have like aliens running train routes, um, I'm fine with that. Because <laughs> if, if it jumps the shark like that, I'm out. But um, it jump,
0: you mean jumps the tracks? Jumps the tracks, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm sure it's going to be straight down the line. I'm sure it's going to be on rails. Uh, <laughs> it's it's going to be something like you opened a new section, you opened a new part of the board. You you're 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 building west. Like I don't know. I think that's Primarily, I think it's going to be pretty generic and somewhat bland.
1: Oh, I hope it's not bland, though. So I mean, need something. Give me something like a That's was what I'm bland. saying. Seafall was a bad game because it was bland and it didn't have that twist, right? Like I need something to grab onto. Hmm.
0: Okay. I don't know. We'll we'll see. I'm sure. I'm sure there's. I'm sure there's something. Hopefully, something in there. I mean yeah <laughs> no spoilers we'll just we'll just keep spoiler free at least for now you can talk about it later all right well uh again i mentioned earlier that you know i i'm i brought my kick in the habit i covered 12 games and what i really like to do is bring the one game out of that that i really think that people should take a look at because i think there's something very unique about it and in particular i like to highlight first time designers because typically they don't get the kind of attention that other people do you know as far as the industry is concerned so, uh, this is Ruse, Instincts of the Den, Fox-themed Euro-style strategy game, unique design, worker placement, territories, exploration, resource, and dice management. Uh, so, again, I mentioned first time, this is a first-time developer here uh, They already surpassed their stretch goals and met their campaign. So, this wraps up on Wednesday, June 14th. So, you'll probably have about a week or so by the time this wraps up. And... This is one of those games where just the way they kind of integrated the theme, which again, you are raising your own wolf family here. And you have these kits, these little baby wolves that you are trying to, as the, I guess, patriarch or matriarch, you're supposed to kind of guide the family through their development. And it is because it does uniquely add a lot of that kind of thematic feel to it. So, You're exploring territories. You're hunting for resources. You're interacting with other um, wolf families out there. I think it's pretty good. The production looks outstanding. Uh, Dual-layer player boards, tons of high-quality meeples here. The artwork is very good. A lot of the different possible interactions that, you know, foxes have with humans and different animals throughout. It's a very grounded, um, real-world kind of thing. Um, which is pretty cool. And it has an expansion that comes along with it. There's a solo mode. Always good to have a solo mode in there. But primarily the game is based on, you roll a dice as far as see who gets to act first. You get to get a sense of like, is this you know phase happening day and night? Because obviously the way foxes operate is, there's a whole bunch of things going on. And based on that time, you need to do certain things. Uh, you're rolling dice, you're utilizing them for resources. You're doing area control throughout the game you're growing your family. So you have dice management, you have tile placement, so you actually build up the den kind of like uh, Caverna, which is pretty cool. And you know, they have their traditional objectives that you're trying to meet to, you know, help your family out, your engine building. Um, I especially love asymmetric player powers. Big fan of that. So <laughs> it's currently on Kickstarter. At some point, they're going to have a tabletop simulator version of this that you could check out. But Again, first time designer. It looks very good. It looks just really well integrated with the theme, and yeah, pretty impressive game. So, um, if you're interested, Ruse Instincts of the Den. It's on Kickstarter right now.
1: That's cool. I we we talked earlier about games that don't have traditional boring themes. Yes. Um, and I you know I guess we talked about that off air a little bit, but it there's been some rumbling of late about why you know getting more interesting themes and into games and why everything isn't have to be shooting things and blowing stuff up. <laughs> um, and you know what? Shooting stuff and blowing stuff up is boring because we've done it a million times. This yes. is not boring because it's different and unique and it's doing something creative with the the mechanisms that we have. So I think that's yeah. cool.
0: Yeah, no. And I, I like the, like I said, the integrated theme, the mechanics, and it's something that you, if you're interested and in, you back it and you add to your collection, you're not going to have anything else like that. And I think that's, we always talk about, you know, being collectors or um, completionists or having to kind of like thin out the collection and purge or whatever it might be and try to come up with this like wondrous kind of collection of games that we're really proud of. I think that wondrous collection, and I'm not saying this game necessarily is because I have not played it, have not previewed it don't know anything more than the Kickstarter, but I think there's unique games. I think your collection, your great collection of games, whether it's five games, 10 games or 500 games, I think the the brilliance of it will be the diversity of the themes and the mechanics that are at play here. So always love to see something like that. Yeah. All right. So that's all the games we wanted to table. Let's get on to our feature review. So our feature review this week is talking about the top 10 Days of Wonder Games, a company that's been around for so long, has brought so many great games to the table, brought so many people into the hobby because of their great games. So we're going to talk about the top 10 and also talk about the best version. So we wanted to make sure that we had time for this and covered it fully because there's a lot of good stuff here. So, Anthony, why don't you start us off with our number 10, top 10 games from Days of Wonder.
1: Let's do it. Uh, number 10 on this list is Heat Pedal to the Metal, which we just Ooh. talked about at the top of the show. Um, this is probably likely to move up on this list long term, but right now it's relatively new, right? Um, it is a racing game, like little Formula One style cars, uh, classic Formula One style cars, that is retheming or building off of, not completely retheming, but working with the mechanics of Flam Rouge, right? So we have the designers here of Flamme Rouge, um, um Oscar Harding Granrude and uh Daniel Skjold Peterson, and they bring us this beautiful production, wonderful looking uh racing game. And there's a lot of racing games out there to varying qualities and degrees. Like we've all played Formula D, we've all played um just the, the quick dice rolling run around the track type of games. To this day, I still think my favorite racing game before Heat to the Pedal to the Metal came out was Thunder Alley because it mm. added a little more strategy and mechanics to the actual sure. racing. Like, it, it takes away this idea that racing is just like, who can go fastest, i.e. get the better dice rolls. Um, Heat Pedal to the Metal kind of builds on that, but keeps it simple because it's a Days of Wonder game. And that's what makes Days of Wonder game so good. Like, the rules are two pages, three or four if you want the extra stuff. And out of the box, you have not just a basic game, a racing game, but you also have like the championship system. You have mechanics for solo play. You have weather and road conditions. You have the legends module to add automated drivers um, to simulate at different levels. You can play any number up to six and kind of build out the, the whole field. It's a really, really complete package that covers all the little bits and pieces people want in a simulated racing game without making it too complex that you couldn't play it with your family, right? Like They they looked at this as a challenge of how do we make a racing game that will make gamers happy, but that they can also play with their dads, right, who watch racing. And that's (laughs) what they got, Heat Pedal to the Metal. Um, There are no expansions for this yet. I'm sure there will be eventually. So we can't say there's a definitive version. The definitive version is the game that you can go buy. So go pick it up. Um, But there's already some, like, fan modules starting to pop up. Uh, If you look at, like, there's a solo career mode um that's fan made there's different circuits that fans have put together that you can download and print the different maps so mm-hmm. this game is already getting a ton of support from the community and i'm sure it will also from days of wonder so uh, if you like racing games you have to play this one it's required it's homework go figure it out
0: <laughs> get it played and this is probably the, the definitive version in of itself because like better than Flambe Rouge, right
1: yeah, yeah. And they're not even calling it an iteration of Flam Rouge anymore. Like they don't have the re-implemented because it adds enough other stuff. It's more complex to certain degrees. Sure. But that base mechanism of like play a card mm-hmm. that's going to impact your movement and you have to manage your hand and then how you're going to do it, it's all still there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's 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 really fantastic. Um, it was hard to find for a little while, but I feel like the reprints just recently came in. So pick it up while you can.
0: Absolutely. My number nine here, our number nine, is Coliseum. If you go way back in the episodes, I have a long and like fun story about Coliseum. So when we started out the podcast, and again, I won't go through the full story. It's already been noted for history, I guess. (laughs) But in this verse, uh, Coliseum was a game that I desperately wanted. It was, it was a beautiful gorgeous production from days of wonder back in the day where a lot of games were not getting those top notch productions but yep. colosseum did and colosseum was also out of print because there was some legal dispute italian designers or theming or something like that so copies were impossible to find and as luck would have it i stumbled across it at actually at a game store and i was just like are you kidding and it hmm. was like, you know, full price MSRP. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm picking this up. So oh, yeah. if you haven't played it, Coliseum is all about putting on these fantastical spectacles in Rome um, as commanded by the emperor and all the nobles. So what's funny here, and again, this game is created by uh, Wolfgang Kramer and Marcus Lube. And again... It's a rolling, it's a roll, and, it's a roll and move, right? So we we've mocked those over the years because Monopoly, but this game actually did something really well with it. So the Emperor and all the noble nobles are walking around Rome and they're visiting the different arenas. So you're rolling dice and deciding who to move. You want to land the important people in your arena in order to score points, get money, and more prestige. And then there is a bidding war that goes on with the other players at the table and you're trying to pick up elements. There's a set collection to put on a particular show. If you get all the elements, you score the maximum amount of money that you can or points in this case, and that allows you to set your score. So that's your score. That's it for the game. That's your score. But putting on that show, typically a small show, if you score, score it right and get the bonuses and, and abilities for your, you know, your Coliseum here, you can then afford better shows. Get more actors and uh, special abilities and all these types of performers and, and any number of things to put together a show. So you keep building to the best possible production of a show. And then when the game comes to an end, whatever the best show that you put on is your score. So it's a roll and move. It's a set collection. It's a contract completion, and it's incredibly uh, an incredible amount of fun, you know. And I, I've always enjoyed playing this game. I own this copy. It's one of those games where, again, I'll never probably give this up. And it's the best version of the game. And again, no offense to uh, Tasty Minstrel Games, RIP. Um, pour one out for your homies here. Uh, they they did a good job bringing the game back out. And I think it was, I believe it was a Kickstarter. And their artwork and production did not at all match Days of Wonder. So early on, I was like, should I get rid of this and get the new Super Deluxe version? And I'm like, oh, no, the Super Deluxe version is really not as good as the Days of Wonder original version. Which, again, you would never thought you would be able to you would say that. But the Days of Wonder's version is best for so many reasons. So, yeah, Coliseum, our number nine.
1: Yeah, yeah, this is... It's a shame how much worse that version is. It was really and bad. bad. <laughs> and now they're Sad. both out of print. So you can't get it either way.
0: <laughs> crazy. So crazy.
1: All right. uh So ne- next up at number eight is one of my favorite games. It was on my top 100 for a while. I think it's just slipped off recently. But um, this is one of those games that I felt like super special having found it. And then Ooh. I've talked to a lot of people who've played it and also agree that's very good. So I don't know how much of a hidden gem it is. Although it is out of print now, so maybe it is more of a hidden gem. Damn and it. That's Yamatai. <laughs> so um this is designed by Bruna Cathala and Mark Pakin. And it is a game about kind of this fantastical Eastern Asian mix. It's it's questionable. Like <laughs> where it's found it's not actual japan or actual china it's kind of a mix but um it's a game in which you're kind of moving around this archipelago these different islands uh and these different lands and you're placing you know you're moving your boats around you're placing these different uh tiles that represent different elements of your own personal faction um and you're just trying to get as much stuff out on the map as possible which sounds pretty simple right pretty basic uh, and which is kind of what a Days of Wonder game does, right? Mechanically, it's very simple. You have a handful of actions, a handful of different types of of um, resources at your disposable. It's how those things kind of work together to manipulate the map and score you points. Um, it is one of those, like oddly satisfying experiences where when you look at it at first glance, you read the rules and you play it, you're like, okay, I get it. And then once you play it, you're like, oh, now I get it. Right. It's emergent complexity at at the best. Right. And the artwork is fantastic and um, the pieces are very tactile and fun to play with. So it's, it's one of those games that I brought to the game night with me every night and I would always teach it. Um, There aren't a lot of games that I'm willing to teach over and over again. There's some I'll burn out on. This is not one of them. Um, The only downside that I can remember for it is that it's not colorblind friendly at all. And so there were certain people, certain friends I couldn't play it with, unfortunately. Um, That was was a challenge. But it is unfortunately a game that never got an expansion, never got reprinted. It must not have done super well, but mechanically it is very sound. It's one of their better games. Um, And I hopefully that license gets to someone else, or they decide to bring it back again? I don't know. Uh, But Yamatai. That's our number eight.
0: Our number seven is, again, one of the biggest and best games of all time because of its accessibility for, again, a gateway gamer or any number of people, family. As Anthony mentioned earlier, you play in five minutes or 15 minutes to learn. uh, Ticket to Ride. So... Again, if you've not played Ticket to Ride, and I would be surprised if you haven't, but if you haven't, um, players collect cards and these these all different colors and there's a wild card and basically you're collecting train cards in order to claim railway routes and in the base game or the original version of this in North America. By doing so, you're doing that in order to score points. The, lar- the longer the routes, the more points you score. And typically you are scoring those long routes because... You want to be able to put them together in order to match a, f- a destination card. So, these different destination tickets, you get a couple at the beginning of the game. You can choose more as the game goes on, but you have to be careful because if you do not complete them, negative points follows. It is a, I would say, even more so than Catan. Catan's always thought of or, or proclaimed as like the kind of gateway game, but I really think it's Ticket to Ride. I think his hand has some some complexities and challenges to it. But ticket to ride, pick the same color, put it down on the same color route, match the contract card, and you're good. Again, as long as someone doesn't cut you off. But that's that's a whole story for another day.
1: Yeah, yeah, wonderful game. Lots of I'm playing a legacy game later this year about this. It's crazy. Um, number six on the list. We have battle well, before Lore.
0: we get before we get into that, Anthony. What's your favorite version? Oh
1: of yes, ticket to ride. Jumping ahead. Uh, mm-hmm. So Ticket to Ride has many, many versions. Oh,
0: uh,
1: I Yeah, there's seven 70s. map packs and like five <laughs> standalone versions of the game. So if you're going to ask me like my favorite standalone version with no expansions, I would uh-huh. just go simply Europe. Ooh. I think the addition okay. of the of the tunnels really adds a lot to the game. If you're asking for my favorite uh, expansion for the game or you know, expansion's a, a tricky word with this, but the map pack, then I think we kind of agree on this, that it's the Pennsylvania and the UK expansion yes. pack, right? So the Pennsylvania side of it, adding the stock element to it, where you gain stocks when you place different tracks down and the UK version adding technology that allows you to get, basically at the start of the game, you can only place two trains at a time. You have to get the technologies to get up to the three and four and the five. Mm-hmm. So that's and I- that's map pack number six, I think.
0: Yeah and again I, I failed to mention obviously the the genius designer of Alan Moore Alan Moon here. Um and yeah this again I'm not I own Ticket to Ride but I don't really play it but certainly um volume 5 of the Mac collection United Kingdom Pennsylvania map is a solid solid gamer game.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it levels it up to it's to enough of a degree that it's not just a gateway game. Mhm. It's a nice, solid medium weight game. Absolutely. All right. Uh, So number six, uh, as I was trying to jump ahead to just a Mm -hmm. moment ago, is Battle Lore. Uh, Battle Lore has been released twice now. This is the first release of the game. But it's a a tricky history with this because. Originally, this is Richard Borg's command and color system, which was then re-implemented several different times, including in Memoir 44 and then this in Battle Lore. later Battlelore 2.0, and then a whole bunch of other games from GMT. So Richard Borg, is, his system has gotten around. And the system is very simple. It's a war game, but you have three different sections to the map and your cards will tell you in which section you can move different units and which types of units you can move and how. So it really narrows down your choices and makes it so you have to work with the deck that you have to be as efficient as possible. So Battle Lore took that and made it into like a quasi-fantasy game. Um, So it's a hundred years war, but there's magic and goblins and all sorts of other (laughs) creatures. Uh, And Days of Wonder, as they do, made a beautiful, high quality production with these wonderful miniatures, um, beautiful cards, wonderful artwork, lots and lots of plastic in the box. And they supported it for a little while with several different expansions um, and lots of different like little individual packs, but it really only lasted a couple of years, which is a shame because the reason this worked so well is because of the attention that they gave it, the Days of Wonder attention. So uh, it's our number six. There's many different versions of this, uh, but this is the Days of Wonder original, and it's the only reason Battle or 2.0 exists, which was Fantasy Flight, Mm -hmm. which is is a better game. But it iterates on this.
0: Yeah, it's a fa- the the 2.0 is a superior game and I, honestly like I think we were at a Game Store recently and I was still like, "Oh, can I get the expansions for it?" Which I know yeah. like it shut down and they were throwing them out the window and I'm I'm sorry I missed it. So like every once in a while I'm like, "Do I want to pay a regular price for this thing? <laughs> Do I want to break $200 yeah. for it?" It's such a good game, but even if you get the original Battle lore edition, you're going to ha- you're going to be really happy. Again, out of print, but If you trip over it, pick it up and run away. (laughs) Run fast because it's fantastic.
1: (laughs) It's worth it. Yeah.
0: And again, fantastic, fantastic, fantastic. I mean, can't say enough about it. But it does remind us of our number five game here, Anthony, which again, big surprise, Richard Borg, Memoir 44, right? So before Battle Lore, there was Memoir 44 because, again, we are utilizing a very, very common mechanic here. It's Richard Borg's famous. Um, You got your three zones here. You are dealing with World War II, including particularly, I think we often think about Omaha beach and a number of different battle scenarios. As far as the map is concerned, it's a two player game. Each player gets a hand of cards, allows them to to move their troops on the board. Uh, And again, there's troops, there's tanks, there's endless numbers of expansions, That allows you to move different military equipment to attack your opponent to try to accomplish objectives if the objectives are particularly germane to that particular map. But typically, you're trying to wipe out the other side. And it's a beautiful streamlined system. And this is Green Army Men in a really solid game. So much so that Wargamers play Memoir 44. And that's high praise because this is a days of wonder game and it is accessible for again a gateway game audience and it's just a beautifully designed game throughout
1: yeah it's it's wonderful and it's it's one of those things that war games can be overwhelming they can be exhausting almost there's so much going on the rules are so complicated they're so complex richard borg has found a a way to make it accessible and yet emergent, right? We've talked yes. about emergence where if you really want to delve into it, there's a lot of complexity there to be had without it taking four hours to learn the rules. And memoir 44 does that really well with a boatload of content added on after the fact. Uh, they've been supporting this game for almost 20 years now with new stuff that enhances that complexity.
0: Yeah. The command and color system is fantastic here and it's well implemented and the figures here are fantastic. And it's, it was, and I think it still is a fairly inexpensive game for all the content you get. Plus there is again, depending on this, this, the base version, but typically the other expansions, there's a lot of historic content that goes along with this as well. So they really do try to bring that to bear. So it's not just like, Oh, it's green versus gray. No, like there's really different factions and military stuff. Um, Again, the base game works really well, but I think this game really does shine with all of its expansions. Uh, The Memoir 44 Overlord uh, scenarios where you could play up to eight players in this large-scale combat, or even go epic. And the Memoir 44 D-Day landings where you could play up to 12 players and have Supreme Commanders kind of set out orders for everyone at the table. So it's, it's a wonder to behold. And again, great expansions, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like I'd played this. I have a copy somewhere, um, but I kind of reconnected with it in 2019 at Gen Con when they were showing me the new flight plan expansion. Yeah. Which brings back the air pack from like 2007, but like adds a bunch of new, you know, upgrades and mechanics and revisions to it. It's airplanes, right? It's giving, yeah. it's adding a, a Z to it, a Z axis to the, to the gameplay, um, which really like levels it up and makes it more complex without actually making it harder to learn.
0: Yeah, and we've talked about this on a previous episode, and I really like that episode where I talked about how certain games, as far as, like, they have so many expansions, and me just being, I love expansions. So, uh, But over time, I'm just like, this game has burnt out, or I don't want to buy any more expansions for it, for whatever reason. Memoir 44, even though it doesn't see a lot of table time, I still pick up expansions for it. And that means a lot. That says a lot, right? Because, again, this... I will get this to the table, and it it's always a win. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Alright, Uh next up, we have number four, Five Tribes. This is from Bruna Cathala, and it came out in 2014, almost 10 years ago, which is crazy to me. It makes me feel super old. Oh, uh This is the Moncala game, right? It's a, another game with, like, two and a half pages of rules. It's very simple. On your turn, you're going to take one of these meeples that's on the board and you're going to move it and that's going to trigger a bunch (laughs) of different actions. So it's, it's like worker placement in reverse. Um, And there's all these different types of meeples out there. You have uh, assassins and elders, builders, merchants, viziers, and you're trying to displace them to take various actions. The, The funny thing about this game and the joke when it came out is it's, the rules are very simple, of course. It's Makala, but with modern me- game mechanics. But because there's so many options and there's so many different ways you can go, and so many, it's it's just it freezes your brain in place, right? Which doesn't make <laughs> the game bad. It just makes it difficult to play with three other people. So if you go to Board Game Geek, it says best with two because with four yep. people <laughs> you will take a nap in between <laughs> your turns. Don't play this with four people. Um, they even have a solo mode that came out one Christmas that was free, which I have really enjoyed. So it it does a lot of interesting things. It's, it's their crunchiest game, in my opinion, without actually being crunchy because mm. of that. Like you have 30 different options every time you take a turn. And so you can be as careful as you want in exploring those different options and trying to maximize your efficiency, depending on how patient your opponents are. So it, it's a really interesting, fun game that does a lot of creative things with very basic mechanics as Days of Wonder is known to do. Um, mm-hmm. And they supported it for a while. And the all the different expansions, they're all very good. They did go out of print for a while, um, but they brought them back this year. So you don't have to go pay $100 for them on eBay anymore. Um, there are, I believe, three main expansions and then several like smaller expansions. Mm. Uh, so it's a game with a lot of stuff to it. Nothing recent. I think the last one came out in like 2017, but mm-hmm. a lot of good stuff nonetheless.
0: Yeah, I again to reemphasize, play it with as small a player count as you yeah. can, because again, you're playing the game, so you will envision a strategy where you're like, "I'll take my guy and I'll go here, here, here," or I'll do this and I'll take my person here, here, and then by the time it gets around to you, it's it's just you can't, <laughs> you just can't, and as as you said, you know, don't play with four players. I mean, two players, right? I mean, other, otherwise you're just going to have a real challenge. So maybe you don't need all the expansions, but the expansions are good, but maybe the best version of this game is not a different version, but a player count, which is only at two players.
1: I would agree with that. Yeah. If yeah. you're going to pick up one expansion, I would say artisans of Nakala because it adds one new tribe to the game Sure. Uh, with the artisans without overcomplicating the game. It adds a lot of interesting decisions to be made. But yeah, I think I agree the best version of this game is a two-player game with somebody that you enjoy spending time with.
0: Although we could say probably the best version of the game is when they got rid of the slave cards.
1: Uh yeah, yeah. If you <laughs> if you have an old version, that is not the best version of the game.
0: So. No, that is not. <laughs> All right. Well, our number three here is Shadows Over Camelot. This is a Bruno Cathala uh Sergei Legend uh game. And it is a co-op game in the Camelot kind of universe. It's cooperative, semi-cooperative, because this was the game that really took the traitor mechanic and made it, like, the biggest thing. So, throughout the game, you are dealing with a number of different threats to Camelot. And the different threats could be... Um, you're 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 facing down the Black Knight. you're searching for the Holy Grail. you're facing down a barrage of catapults that are attacking the castle. and your knight, again, everyone has a unique knight from Camelot Arthurian legend. You're taking heroic actions to stop pushback to meet the conditions that you need to meet in order to defeat the evil that that's happening at the same time one of you, or again, depending on the player count and what's going on, is a trader. So that player is throwing out cards that are actually working against you or has strategies to work against you. And it's so much fun. And it's so well done. So much so that it's out of print. So yay. <laughs> <laughs> it must be and, good if you can't buy it. <laughs> and the artwork is great too. It's, it's certainly a throwback to everything great about the game that the miniatures everything is just wonderful um the best version is with the expansion which is merlin's company it adds merlin right so how do you not have merlin in the game and uh, merlin adds a lot to the game as far as his own particular areas that you have to deal with and he's an actual figure character in the game that that plays into it and then again You have more opportunities because Morgana is fully in in play here. Um, Now you could have two possible traders. It plays up to eight players. It's not bad at eight players because it is a co-op game and you're all just playing into certain scenarios without a particular issue. But being that it's a social deduction element to that game, it, it doesn't overstay its welcome. It's smart. There's actual evidence. You're just not... You know, weirdly accusing random people of being a werewolf, it does make a sense. Uh, Shadows of Camelot, it's a lot of fun if you can find it. Yeah, I'm sorry.
1: I, I it's astounding to me this hasn't come back in some in some way. it's, oh, still it's, the, it's insane. It, it's still the best of these games, and these games are popular. I don't get
0: it. It it really is, and it's for me. It's especially with the expansion. It's a must expansion. I own a copy of this. I don't know how I got lucky to get the game and the expansion. I, again, just right place right time, so um yeah, find me we'll we'll play <laughs> all right. <laughs>
1: all right, uh, number two on the list is Quadropolis. This is a city building game from Francois Godon, and it is uh very simple. all you do on your turn is you take one of your architects, they're numbered one to four, and you place it along one of the columns or one of the row in a five by five grid, and based on the number pointing in, you'll take that tile. So if you're pointing from column two and you choose a three, you will pick the third c- tile in column three. It's, it's even simpler than it sounds. You take that tile then and you place it in your tableau. Then there's a basic version in which you just place it wherever you want, or an ex- expert version in which you place it into a sector that matches the number that you used. Uh, and you're trying to build out your own little city. And when you're building your city, like any good city building game, you're scoring points from these different tiles based on their location and in interaction with the other tiles. So residential buildings score for their height. So you stack them up. You literally stack them on top of each other. Shops score based on customers that are there. Public services score depending on districts that you have. Um, parks score based on the number of residential buildings next to them. Harbors score based on the how long the row or column is, so on and so forth. Um, the interesting mix in this game in addition to like the drafting mechanism is that different tiles will give you different things some of them give you citizens some of them give you power and when you get power you need to place it on buildings that require power and when you get citizens you need to find a place for them to go um and so they can go on the residential buildings there's a certain number that needed there you can place some in shops you can place some in, in various other locations but Everything needs to have a location. Otherwise, it becomes worth negative points. So that all of your people need to go somewhere. All of your energy needs to go somewhere. So you can't like stock up on energy and then have nowhere to put it. Um, you play over a series of, of very quick rounds, and then you see who comes out on top, right? Who has the most efficient cities that they've built. Uh, it's such a fun, interesting puzzle that takes all the stuff I love about city builders and boils it down to base-based mechanics but again, it just like builds on this layer of complexity that comes out of your interaction with other players and the tableau that you build. The best version of this game I would say is with the expansion public services um, this one adds in public service buildings that can be placed in your city that you just mix them in based on the numbers for the different rounds and so you can have things like you know you know new hospitals or police stations or processing plants that do various different things, but also score based on where they're located. Um, So it adds another layer to the decision-making that's outside of the normal draft, which is very interesting. Um, So Quadropolis, city-building fans out there, uh, it's simple, unlike... I'm not unlike. There's plenty of simple-ish city-building games, but this one really streamlines it in a way that I don't think any other game
0: is quite pulled off. So that's (laughs) our number two, Quadropolis. All right, well, that leads us to our number one game of Days of Wonder games, Small World. Uh, Small World by Philippe Kuretz, um is an area control game in the best way possible for two primary reasons. One, deterministic attack and res- resolution. So typically when you play games and you get into a battle game, area control game, There's dice, there's cards, there's 20, 30 different things that you have to do to calculate. There's a spreadsheet. Here, you just have to meet the the basic condition of being able to attack and have the requisite number of tokens in order to take over that area. So whatever that is, plus the the one token that's needed in order to hold the land. And there's a reinforcement die that comes into play if you want to gamble at the very end. The other amazing part of Small World, again which just blows away risk is not only do you get to play a particular faction with a special ability that is variable for each game. And there's a number of different types and again, how they kind of come together, but those races again and faction or special ability um, typically you don't always have to, but often they go into decline. So if you had a lot of fun playing as the elves like, say, the Hill Elves, well, guess what? You got to play them out, they got to get a little burnt out, they go into decline, you're still scoring points with them, you get to bring out another fantasy race, which, again, it could be seafaring trolls for whatever reason. And now you get to utilize a new combo of special abilities and tactics in order to protect your decline race, but also, you know, control some additional lands. It has a really deep mechanical kind of play because it does so many different things right. So it re-implements Vinci, which was again typical kind of military kind of control, still had the decline thing, but here because the player boards are like there's a player board for every player count, it it doesn't get messy like Risk or like Game of Thrones or other games where like there's other areas of the map. It's smart about it. It it has equal distribution of the resources and the particular lands and areas. So each and every time you play the game, the player count works really well. The factions are mixed up, so it's not just like this faction's more powerful than that faction. And again, typically you have the opportunity to play multiple factions throughout the game, and the battling is straightforward, and the artwork is whimsical and fun fantasy in the best way possible. So easy to play, uh difficult to master as time goes on and a lot a lot of greatness here uh that's small world anthony you played some of that yeah yeah yet. it's wonderful yeah um yeah. i i would recommend again we're talking best you know best uh versions of this there's many many expansions and i mean many expansions to us i would recommend great dames of small world it's a mini expansion it adds three powerful factions the gypsies the priestess the white ladies and two really great uh special powers the historians so as races go extinct or i'm sorry go into decline uh you score points based on that and then peace loving which again is super cool because the game's all about attacking other players but sometimes it's just about peace loving man and if you don't attack an active race you score three three money which is points in the game so it turns the game on its head a little bit I'd also recommend Small World Cursed. It's another small mini expansion. You get goblins and kobolds, but it has, again, typically all special powers give you great bonuses. So like in this one, you have were, again, so you could be were goblins or you know basically werewolves. So they become more powerful at night. That's pretty cool. Uh, But they also have the cursed special power, and that's a negative power. So again, that's a lot of fun because it throws the game in a different way. It's not just like a bonus of something else. If I feel the small world, the base game with these expansions is the best version, but you can argue and you would have a good right to argue. Small world underground never gets enough props. It has a lot of special tokens in that game that provide extra powers and special abilities. So it's It's not dark as in, like, scary dark, but it's a little more complex. So if if the regular Small World, like, you kind of, like, feel like it needs a little more, Small World Underground is really the where to go. And, again, if you're looking for the most definitive version possible and you have all the money in the world, more or less, Small World Designer's Edition came out in 2015. This was a Kickstarter. Um, I backed because I'm a big fan of Small World. And it has all the Small World stuff in, like, the top quality as far as, wood components and actual mountains and other kind of components. So um, it's a fantastical box with no handles, so it's never going to (laughs) travel. But it's it's a great version of the game. So that's our number one game, Small World from Days of Wonder. Awesome. All right, everyone. So that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you all a seat at the table. Take care, everyone. Bye. See ya.